coast to coast, border to border, and around the world. It's time for The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a guest-driven program where the topics are diverse and entertaining. Laugh and learn while you listen to one of the best hours of online radio. Now, here's your host, Bill Alexander. Hi, everyone. Welcome to this edition of The Bill Alexander Show with your truly William Eric Alexander. All my friends call me Bill, and welcome to The Bill Alexander Show today. Uh, today, we're going to be doing a little bit of tourism, and we're going to be talking to someone in Virginia, but we're going to start with the big debate. Now, all of you guys up here up north with me, we call it Appalachia. However, down south, they call it something really odd, which is Apple. Uh, was it Appalachia? Or Appalachian. Yeah, there we go. I knew I, I would get confused because I have to think about it. Any <laughs> idea why there's two different pronunciations of the same word? You know, I've, I've heard different theories on this. And, um, you know, one of my biggest theories on it personally is that different groups of people settled the region, the Appalachian region. And even in Appalachian. <laughs> <laughs> So even in this small area of Virginia, uh, we have very different dialects from one town to the other. So I think mm. different people came into the region. Maybe those different dialects were trapped into the different different areas, different pockets around the region. And, you know, I had an uncle who um, would talk about, you know, going to carry water. And he would say, you know, I need a vessel to go carry water like you know that's straight king's english that has been trapped into these mountains for all those years because uh where we're at where i'm at i'm just Mm -hmm. uh southeast of the city of pittsburgh and we have our own language up here which is called pittsburgh ease where we have taken some of the words that we've heard and i think you're right where way people settled instead of saying you we say yuns instead Uh of saying uh wash we say wash Uh so there are these words that we've picked up too and it's interesting that it's because of the mountain range that is going through this very large area so uh it's kind of it's kind of fun to talk about it and when i uh when i I saw you were available to speak to me today i was going through it going okay so what is different between the pennsylvania appappalachia and virginia appalachian what do you talk other, about what's other going than on the there? pronunciation yeah <laughs> so what do you have going on down there because i know your weather's a little bit warmer than ours is mm-hmm. um at this time of year however we're having an unusual heat spell that we've been in the mid 70s for the last two days which is very unusual for us right so we are actually probably in the 70s today as well uh, we're a little cooler just because we are here in the appalachian mountain range Um, So that keeps us a little bit cooler. You know, in fact, it's a very temperate climate. I'll I'll quote a local attorney who's also a very avid um, trail builder and outdoorsman. Um, And he says that, you know, we have the perfect scenario here. We really don't get the natural disasters. We don't get the hurricanes. We don't get the tornadoes. We don't get the earthquakes. We're almost trapped here in an area that is the ultimate climate. And we have four seasons, you know, four very distinct seasons. And of course, we're just we're just kind of getting out of fall. I don't know how far along you all are, but we're about uh, to past peak. Okay, and so we are about the same. Okay. Um, I have I have a tree in my yard right now that's a magnolia tree uh-huh. that the leaves do not fall until the week of 
Veterans Day, except they fell yesterday. And it's like, now I have to do this work earlier. But our <laughs> fall seems to be one week advanced compared to what it has been in the past. Right. So I don't know if it is the way the weather is, the cycle's going or what, but, but I, I've seen that. I was down in Virginia a few weeks ago um, and noticing your peak season. Now, I did not go to where you're located. I went to Williamsburg and... Uh -huh that area so how far away from you because most people think of virginia they think of williamsburg they think of richmond they think of virginia beach mm -hmm. how, where are you located in that area so heart of appalachia is a regional tourism organization and uh, we represent seven the seven westernmost counties in the state of virginia so we go all the way from the tip of virginia that borders with tennessee kentucky and west virginia and uh, we go up to I-77 at Tazewell County. So we, we cover seven counties. It's a big region. Um, from I-77 to the very tip of Virginia at Lee County is probably still close to four hours to drive. Okay. So most people, most people, you know, that you talk about when you start talking about Southwest Virginia, they start talking about Roanoke. Oh, and, okay. Uh, you know, we are a good two or three hours, you know, past Roanoke. Um, so with, with tourism being a big thing down here, down there, like it is up there, what mm -hmm. historical sites are, do you have in the heart of, um, Appalachia? You know, interestingly, I'm sitting on one of them right now. Um, my husband and his family, their farm is, he's eighth generation. Okay. And, uh, this farm was founded in 1774. So think two years before the constitution, Right. Um, yeah. And uh, the, the, my in-laws house here was built in 1850 and uh, all the brick in it was fired here on the farm. Um, you could actually see the changes in colors of the brick on the house, I guess, where they went from season to season or maybe moved into an area with different different clay. But it's very interesting to see that. And um, as far as history, my father-in-law is just forever finding things at the house that are just amazing. <laughs> But the farm has weathered, you know, several wars and mm -hmm. uh, it's changed. It's changed its its focus over the years. You know, there's been tobacco, there's been sheep, and now it's commercial beef cattle. But, you know, it's really a testament to a business that can stay, stay afloat that long and really adapt with the ever-changing environment around it and, and still be, you know, a flourishing business. But uh, as far as other, you know, more public historical sites in the region. Um, there's a lot of museums that pay homage to the uh, the coal mining history. Okay. Um, the Pocahontas Exhibition Mine in Tazewell County is one in particular that's very interesting because it was a coal mine that was in operation in the early 1900s and now you can go through it and take a tour so you can actually go underground and, and, and see what the coal miners actually experienced. And one thing that I learned the last time I was in there that had never crossed my mind is that there's actually fog underground. So they open the doors to the mine that morning and, and this, this mist start, starts rolling out. And it's like, I never knew that it could get foggy underground. So what's interesting is, is where I'm at uh -huh. and I'm on the uh, Pennsylvania, West Virginia border. Right. And our area is also big with coal mines. Uh -huh. And that was the that was the major employment here at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the 1900s, all the way up until the mid to late 70s. Then when the market fell apart right. and we still have people working in the mines, we have mines that are being very uh, successfully mined. 
but ours actually started to make a transition to Marcellus shale and right. Marcellus gas. So okay. in your area, are you still mining the mines? Are they doing anything else with them or? There are still mines that are active. Uh, one thing that we have seen um, in this area is one particular power plant is able to burn um, gob coal, which is the refuge coal or refuse coal from the days gone by that was just discarded and piled up and, um, and left behind as waste. And now they're actually able to go in and clean up those sites and, and burn that waste coal. So really, you know, when you think about it from an environmental standpoint, yeah, we, we are, you know, burning coal at the power plant, right. but we're also really cleaning up mm-hmm. the, uh, you know, the waste that was left from before. And I think that is a trend we're seeing in this area is that, you know, this, this extraction economy of the past has really taken a turn and often it is the sons and daughters of the coal miners that have taken the lead on these projects, mm-hmm. you know, to really uh, turn the economy more into a tourism based outdoor mm-hmm. recreation based economy. Um, the um, we have we have elk that have been reintroduced into into Virginia. Oh, okay. And uh, one of the gentlemen who actually uh, oversees a lot of that, you know, he's the son of a coal miner. And the elk were reintroduced onto an old strip mining site. And it's absolutely beautiful. When you go up there, you think you're just in a different country because, you know, of course, it was stripped in the past and the mountaintop was removed. But that has created those open fields that have been a perfect habitat for the elk. Right. Now, if I come down to, to see you, am I going to see elk? You are. So okay. if you take a tour through the Brakes Interstate Park, there's a 100% success rate on because, their tours. Because I've been to Elk County in Pennsylvania. They named the county after the elk. I saw no elk. <laughs> I was there for four days. I saw a bear and a raccoon. That was it. <laughs> Oh, yeah. The Brakes Interstate Park does tours in the spring during calving season, which is really cool uh, because you get to see the baby elk. And then during the fall, during during the rutting season, when the males are bugling and fighting, Uh and it's just really a beautiful thing. But yeah, they they have a 100% success rate on their elk tours. So you were mentioning um, the tourism down there. What are the outdoor activities that you guys offer there? Because I've seen some pictures and I can only imagine what outdoor activities that uh, you have available. We have such a diverse amount of outdoor activities. I was on a podcast last night talking about Back of the Dragon, which is a um, state designated motorcycle and sports car route. Um, It it traverses three mountain ranges. It's uh, 438 curves over 32 miles. Oh, wow. And okay. it, it is wildly popular with the motorcycle riders and the sports car enthusiasts. Um, one of the main attractions that we have is, is called Spearhead Trails. And it is the off-roading version. It's the, uh, you know, think the big side-by-sides, the Polaris Razors. Right. Um, and we have several hundred miles of off-road ATV trails. Um, we also have, um, you know, campgrounds that have popped up on these reclaimed mine sites. Um, you know, we have the Clinch River, which is the most biodiverse river in the United States. And they have several outfitters on the Clinch that can, that can get you on the river on either kayaks or tubes. Um, and just, just a huge range of activities. Like I said, the elk tours at the Brakes Interstate Park. 
Um, and we have two parks. One is the Cumberland, Cumberland Gap National Historic Park and uh, the um, Natural Tunnel State Park. They both do wild cave tours at certain times of the year. Cumberland Gap. Um, uh -huh. I've actually I've actually been there. Have uh, you? <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and I'm looking for something. There was actually a mine. There was a community there at uh -huh. one time that my wife and I and my daughter explored. Right. That that was down through there. I can't remember the name of it. But okay. uh, and it was really interesting because you could see the days gone by and it was, I guess it was someone from England that came in and uh -huh. opened their own mind down there. And it was really yeah. cool to be able to watch that. Right. And then coming out on top and then looking at the beautiful side of the gap and, and the bridge and all that other stuff. It was just amazing. Uh -huh. Oh yeah. And if you've never, and if you've never seen it, that's, that is a trip. That's a, and from our area, it's about, a, it's a day trip, basically. I oh, mean, yeah. you can go oh, down yeah stay the night and then come back again and, and, and really enjoy it because this is part of the area. I think we're so familiar with, with tourism that Mark, like Williamsburg, we're, we're familiar with Virginia beach. We're familiar with outer banks. And you talk about these big tourist areas, but we don't appreciate what you have because there's, that's not that they're smaller, but they are quieter, more family oriented. It's not they as are. busy. And I think that's where we need to start looking at when you start having these types of situations. So again, I think again with Cumberland Gap is just amazing. It really is. Well, you know, I had some. I saw someone post on on a Facebook group a few days ago that they had hiked um, the Sand Cave Trail, which is over near the Cumberland Gap Wilderness Road area, and they were just talking about how phenomenal it was that they had the trail all to themselves. You know, pretty much the entire time. So, you know, people who are really wanting to get out and get into nature and really have that experience, aside from the, you know, and my husband and I have done some of the national parks. You know, we went to Arches National Park last year and it was absolutely amazing. And I took some pictures that you post on Instagram and it looks like you're out there by, by yourself. Right. But then I took a video to send to my friends and it's like, this is what it's really like. And it looked like <laughs> spring break. Oh, you know, wow. it was super crowded. So yeah. just about anywhere here that you go, whether it be a hike or a river float, whatever it may be, you're pretty much just going to be in solitude. Um, I, I'm looking at your brochure um, that you have online. I find it interesting because, uh -huh. of course, something jumped out at me because okay. in my area, we have the same thing. And right. it is the the red-capped Paul Bunyan statue that holds a fish, <laughs> a paint bucket, and even a jack-o'-lantern. We have one here. It's the same guy. And with uh -huh. his hand that's open like that, he's holding a tire. Right. <laughs> it's just like really interesting. And it, again, that's along uh, U.S. Route 58. Route 58. Do you, have, do you have other oddities like that that people oh, come do. to look at? We do. One thing that Virginia Tourism does as a state tourism organization, they, they do the, of course, you know, everybody's heard that Virginia is for lovers. Right. So um, all over the state, you'll find these very unique, uh, they call them love works. But basically, it's a it's a photo op by, beside, you know, with a big sign that says love. But different localities and different uh, businesses have their own take on these. So one thing that people really like to do is a tour of those love signs. But yeah, the Paul Bunyan statue. We also have our own version of Bigfoot. I don't know oh, if you really? all have a Bigfoot. Yes, we do. We have we have a Bigfoot. 
but he is called the wood booger and he, <laughs> okay. resides, he resides in Norton, Virginia. And if you go to, um, if you go up on the high knob recreation area, just outside of Norton, you'll find a massive statue of the wood booger. Okay. Yeah. Up at Flag Rock, <laughs> uh, recreation area in Norton. But yeah, that's, uh, and also of course at the back of the dragon, they have a welcome center, the motorcycle route, and they have this massive dragon statue. And he's a huge photo op as well. So it's interesting because as soon as you said that, I looked up wood burger, uh, booger, <laughs> and I brings up the wood, wood booger grill. And I'm There's thinking, I don't, I don't know if that's a place I'm going to eat. But anyhow, they, they do, they do a great burger. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess they have cutouts where you can stand there and you can look like Bigfoot. So uh, <laughs> it looks, it looks like a lot of fun. Um, oh, yeah, Norton, Norton uh, really celebrates there. their wood booger. They, they embrace him. Why do they call it the wood booger? I really do not know. <laughs> You'll have to Google that one because I don't know. Because <laughs> we do, we call our, we're, ours is Bigfoot or Sasquatch. Oh, yeah. So it, yeah. again, it's, it's one of those things. Um, so the food that is there, what, what type of dining restaurants, specialties that you have there? Uh, it's very diverse. There are a lot of the little uh, mom and pop diners. Um, there's still a couple of drive-ins that have been here since the fifties, uh, where you can just drive in and they'll bring out a, you know, a hot dog oh, okay. or a burger or a shake. Um, we've had several, there's one town in particular here in the region, Big Stone Gap. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard of the movie, Ashley Judd, Whoopi Goldberg. They were all in this movie titled Big Stone Gap. And no, uh, I haven't. It is about, uh, it, it's kind of centered around the uh, State Outdoor Theater of Virginia, which is okay. the Lonesome Pine Outdoor Drama. So Big Stone Gap is a small town of, I'm going to say five to 6,000 people, and uh, but they have 31 restaurants. It's like the coolest thing to go into this small town, and they all work together. You know, you have this coal-fired pizza place that pays homage to the to the coal history. Mm -hmm. They use coal to in this in this you know normally it would be wood-fired, but this one's coal-fired, and uh, they use a lot of the regional um, beers. and And we have a distillery in the region. And then you go down the street, and there's Big Cherry Brewing Company that uh, you know they've sourced beer from all over the United States, and they do a a great burger, and they have like a limited menu, kind of a pub menu. And they all just work really well to complement each other and not um, overlap. So okay. it's really in this region and in the Appalachian region as a whole, Big Stone Gap really is a town who's doing it right. Um, they recently had the Blue Highway Fest, which was a huge bluegrass music festival. They had an amazing lineup and we had people from all over the U.S., Canada, Mm -hmm. uh, just and this was a, a first annual event so we're really looking forward to the the next event because we think it's only going to get bigger right um i'm also looking at the brochure and it shows me some of the beautiful nature shots of mm -hmm. the waterfalls the caves and all that where do you find those at do you find them throughout the uh, the heart of uh, appalachia or they the in one location. Okay, you find them throughout. Yeah. yeah, you find them throughout the region. There's actually one close to me um, here in Russell County. Uh, it's called Tank Hollow Falls, and it's about 60 feet high. It's a very, very photogenic waterfall, and the beauty of it is it's accessible for anyone. It's handicap accessible. Oh, really? Okay. So yeah, people can drive right up 
and park, and then there's a wheelchair uh, accessible trail that goes over to the waterfall. And uh, Little Stony Falls, um, which is over in Scott County, um, you, can, you can access it in a, like a quarter mile trail, or you can come in from a different route and just get in a really good hike of several miles. But yeah, the waterfalls in the region really are, are very popular and very photogenic. Because uh, you look at it, and up here in this area, we have an area very similar to that. It's called Ohio Pile, and uh, it is it's a I, state I have, park. I have, been, I have been there. You have? Yeah. Well, you've been in the same, you're in the same county I'm sitting in right now. That is amazing. <laughs> did you do whitewater rafting, or did you just no, do? No, I'll tell you what I did. I rode the Great Allegheny Passage okay. from Cumberland, Maryland to Pittsburgh. Yes. Yeah. I've been. Cumberland is not that far from here either. So you you did the passage. I did. Between the, did you get off at all? I mean, did I you did. Get off? I made it kind of a several day trip. I would okay. you know ride as far as I wanted to, and then I would stop and stay somewhere. But yeah, riding riding into Pittsburgh, and then I stayed a couple of nights in Pittsburgh. It was a mm -hmm. lot of fun. And we have the down here. We have the Virginia Creeper Trail, which is very similar to that, but the Creeper Trail is close to seventy miles. Um, okay. But it is also an, a rail trail that has been converted. I'll be darned. Mm -hmm. um, that's interesting. Did you make it to Falling Water up here? I don't think I went to Falling Water. That's like a oh. swimming hole. No, it's a, no. a house designed by Frank Lloyd Wright. Oh. It is amazing architecture okay. that he he made for a wealthy Pittsburgh family in the 1930s. Okay, and and I know it very well because when I was much much younger, I was actually a tour guide there okay. many years ago. So again, it, it again, there's a lot of cool history up here. Oh yeah, um, we have we have Fort Necessity where Washington stayed. We had Braddock's grave. We have our own caverns, which are Laurel caverns, uh -huh. and we have this whole area. And, and mine, because our the Laurel Highlands is, is also a very large area. Right. And I'm very familiar with where I'm at, but it covers Somerset, Westmoreland, Fayette. And there's one more, and I can't remember what it is. But anyhow, um, but but again, that's really cool that you've been up here to experience what we've that we have to offer. Right, right. Yeah. So you've done the rail to trails up here from Cumberland to Pittsburgh. So have you done yours down there? I have. I did it out and back several years ago. Um, so 70 miles total, roughly, with a group of friends. We were doing it for a Cancer Outreach Foundation fundraiser. And um, that was one of the toughest physical things I have ever done in my life. <laughs> yeah, I think my bike was a little undersized. And uh, okay. yeah, it was not good. <laughs> but it was a lot of fun. It's, it's, it's good bragging rights to say that I've done that. So here and i know what has happened because of the rails to trails up here is we've noticed these small communities along the trails mm -hmm. have opened up beds and breakfasts restaurants and stuff like that so uh -huh. like you said you can pull off you can stay you can make a day of it whatever do you have the same similar things down there with yours you know i i said when i rode the great allegheny passage that it was like the creeper trail you know, but it was still in its infancy because I'm right. not sure that at the time, and this was several years ago, I'm not sure that at the time that the locals had really embraced the Gap Trail. Mm -hmm. um, and the Creeper Trail has been around a lot longer. Okay. So around it, you know, there, there's been restaurants pop up, uh, you know, bike shuttle companies, just, just, you know, tons of them. And they just stay busy all the time, shuttling people from one end of the trail to the other. It has done a lot 
for the region. And um, a friend of mine, Berkeley Young, he does um, he does studies on different regions for tourism mm -hmm. purposes. And uh, he did a study for the town of Abingdon, which is where the Creeper Trail starts. And you know the, the Abingdon has always embraced the Barter Theater, which is Virginia State Theater. It was founded. Uh, don't know when, but the original concept of it was that people would come in and barter like eggs or okay. milk or whatever from their farm to see a play. So, um, and you can still do that today if you bring in something, I believe you can still barter to see a show. Oh, but, uh, you know, the town of Abingdon had always really embraced the barter theater. And in Berkeley's study, he realized that, you know, if you bring people in for the creeper trail, they will they will go to the barter mm -hmm. when they finish riding the trail and things like that. But the people who specifically come in for the barter don't necessarily go out and experience right. the other things. So, you know, his his saying is the the um, the creepers will barter, but the barters won't creeper. And um, <laughs> so he, he suggested to the town of Abing that they actually market the creeper trail more because that's bringing in people who will who will then diversify and do the right. other things. Yeah, that's interesting um, because. I know that the, the people that come through here and I've heard stories about about them staying in that and the bike shops that have, have opened up in the area and stuff like that. So it's very interesting because it sounds very similar. What you have had down there, mm -hmm. we're now developing up here. Oh, yeah. So so that's that's really that's really interesting. Yeah, so, I remember when I did it, there was one poor little guy in his SUV with a bike rack on the back of it. And he was the only person that I could find that would shuttle me at that time. And oh, he really? ran me all over the place. Yeah. Okay. So uh, he would drop me off at, you know, like he picked me up in Pittsburgh and brought me back to my vehicle. Uh -huh. And uh, it's like, he, he's a man ahead of his time because he sees what's coming here. <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. Um, so, so through, through that area and other things, how long is your tourism season? I mean, do you have a, a defined tourism season or is it 12 months? I would say it gets a little slower during the, the winter just because, you know, motorcycle is a, motorcycles are a huge part of our tourism industry here just because we have those gorgeous curvy back roads right. that the motorcycle riders from Ohio and Florida and all of the flatlands love, but, you know, they're not riding in the winter. So I was actually at Back of the Dragon yesterday and I asked them how things were going and she said, you know, it's kind of, kind of dropped off for the season. We do have several things like, um, you know, holiday events that really bring in people. The Natural Tunnel State Park does a lighting of the tunnel several times uh, between now and Christmas, where they'll light the tunnel up at night and they have uh, music and, and bonfires and s'mores and all that, all those things. People really enjoy that. Um, but yeah, as far as, you know, sometimes just like getting away in some of the cabins that we have, things like mm -hmm. that. But yeah, overall, it is uh, it's not a, it's not a year round thing. So okay. during during the winter, we find that people are usually travel or they're planning their travel. Okay. So we do we then start doing trade shows as uh, as an organization, and we'll mm -hmm. do like motorcycle trade shows. We'll do outdoor trade shows, and uh, you know we go set up in Atlanta and DC and Chicago. Uh, we're going to Baltimore this year, so we we hit all of that during the planning phases. So, okay, my question is, where do you think most of your clientele comes from to go to your area? Uh, I'm, I'm a Google Analytics junkie. Um, okay. So I spend 
time each day digging into Google Analytics to see where our people are coming from. So I can answer. I don't I don't have to think. I can tell you. Okay. They're coming from New York City. They're coming from Atlanta. They're coming from Chicago. They're coming from Nashville. And they're coming from Ohio, mostly. So it's kind of interesting to hear that where your areas are coming from, because especially from New York and Ohio, they're willing to mm-hmm. make the drive. Right. Which is how many hours, what, five, six hours, somewhere like that? Yeah, it would be five or six hours. And really the most surprising one to me is Chicago. Oh, um, yeah, and, that would be. And some of the riders, you know, and this is, you know, motorcycle riders. They We do get a lot of motorcycle riders from Pennsylvania. Right. But uh, one thing that we started working on was to partner with, there's there's a group in Ohio called the Windy Nine. Um, and it's it's nine, nine different motorcycle routes. Many people think it's the Windy Nine. It's, it's the Windy Nine. And okay. um, so we were talking about partnering with them um, to get people halfway down and say, hey, go ride these routes, you know, for a few days and then come on down to us. And that way they're not doing that whole drive, you know, 10 to 12 hours from Chicago in, in one stretch. Right. You know, it gives them. So we talked about partnering with them and almost doing like a joint publication uh, to to tie the two routes together. So if I'm coming down for something, say, uh, we'll say late spring, early summer, and I'm, I, I just, I only have a few days to do it. Uh Where would you recommend me going to get the best experience that I possibly can from that area? From your well, area. It really it really depends on what your interests are. Um, if you're interested in getting out on the back roads and getting that feel of the open road on a motorcycle, uh, there are several places that rent the uh, Polaris Razors, um, or okay. not Polaris Razors, but the um, Slingshots, if you know okay. what I'm talking about. They look like Batman cars. Yes, yes, on yes. Front, one on the back. Yeah. You can actually rent those and take them out. And my husband and I rented one this past summer because I needed to get some photos and and video Mm -hmm. footage from it and I'm driving it on back of the dragon you know having a great time and then I realize I'm suddenly respected by motorcycle riders they give me the little (laughs) wave you know it's like they're giving me the wave uh, (laughs) so you can rent those and it really is a lot of fun it's it's a whole different feeling being out there in that open vehicle and uh and then you can also rent I mentioned the Polaris razors a minute ago which are the the big side by side side by side yeah yeah, and you can rent those and take them out on the trails. And if you're just interested in getting out in nature, I would highly recommend the Brakes Interstate Park and maybe their elk tours during the spring. Okay. Have you noticed, and I know and I know it's hard to probably gauge this right now, but have you noticed an increase of people coming from larger cities after the whole COVID pandemic situation that we were in? We definitely have. We've noticed an increase in that, not only in visitation, but in people actually relocating here. I was going to ask you that next. Mm -hmm. So the people who own the coal-fired pizza place that I was referring to in Big Stone Gap, they actually were on a road trip, just kind of meandering around the country with no real, you know, plan or, you know, they were just out sightseeing. They stop in Big Stone Gap. They have a, um, they do a mac and cheese pizza that's just phenomenal. Mm -hmm. They have this mac and cheese pizza. They start talking to the owner of the business who told them that she was thinking about selling. And a week later, they've picked up and moved to Big Stone Gap and bought this restaurant. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And, and that town in particular, the town managers from Macon, Georgia, um, you know, the restaurant owners are from California. 
there's a, a guy who owns a bike shop who does, um, you know, e-bike rentals and things like that. He's from California. And during the Blue Highway Fest, um, I was working the information tent. So I was kind of talking to the people and finding out where they were from and, you know, where they were staying and all those things. And I had one guy come through and he's like, oh, I've been, I missed most of the festival today because I was with a real estate agent. He's like, I got here in this town and I didn't want to leave. So he didn't leave. He bought a house and he's already closed on it and he's already living here. Yeah. So it's really, it's really good to see that kind of new blood come in because I think they do bring a lot of revitalization to the areas that may be stagnant. Right. Yeah. Because I I was just wondering if, if you were noticing the increase of, of people coming in and maybe as a second career or um, after retirement or whatever it may be, if you've noticed right. that. We so. have, we have noticed that, but it's not just retirees anymore. I think it used to be more retirees, but I think now we're starting to see more young professionals, maybe who have children that they don't really want to raise in the city. They want them to experience that, that, you know, slower pace of life. Right. Yeah. And, and really and spend I, more time with them in the outdoors. And, and this is a great place for that. I, I think it's interesting that we're noticing this shift that everybody was moving to large metropolitan areas. And now we're noticing everybody moving back into what we call the country and right. moving in the rural areas and, and taking in, because as you said, it's much simpler, it's more wide open and right. you can raise a family in an area like this and actually feel good about it. You can. And I was joking yesterday, you know, I've raised two kids. They're 19 and 21. And, uh, you know, small town, you know, you you pretty much know everyone. Mm -hmm. And my son got his driver's license when he was 16. And like two days later, you know, the the chief deputy of the sheriff's office, like, I just passed your son, you know, somewhere. And it's like, what was he doing there? But, you know, Uh it's just like, you know, everything they're doing. (laughs) Right. You may like that, but the kids don't. Yeah, the kids did did not like that at all. (laughs) Which is good, though, because people are keeping an eye on them. And I think I think that's very important, especially today, because when I grew up, I grew up north of the city of Pittsburgh. That's the way life was. And we were in a very rural area and everything else. Now, where I'm at now, which is south, and I relocated down here that um, it's the same thing. And, and you notice everybody knows everybody. Oh, yeah. You see every, you know, everybody when you go to the grocery store, whatever it may be, oh, yeah. and you never get out of the store quick because you're always talking to somebody. No. So, so no. again, again, it, it's very interesting um, to, to do that. Now you also have a section of your brochure, mm-hmm. which I think would be very interesting is that you have a specialty dealing with weddings. Yes. We have a lot of great wedding venues here. Um, Everything from barns, I mean, just very, very, very fancy barns to, um, you know, there's one hotel, the Inn at Wise, which is a historic hotel. Um, They have they have a wedding area and uh, the ability to host a reception, you know, and a lot of more a lot of people now are opting to just get married outdoors and then maybe have a reception somewhere at a venue and that's actually what my husband and I did um we got married here on the farm um on a kind of a mountaintop overlooking the farm and we had about 40 or 50 people up on the mountain at the wedding but then we had a big reception of about 150 you know down here in the yard under a tent and one of my friends is getting married soon and she's looking at wedding venues and she's talking about just doing you know just a beautiful 
kind of a lakeside ceremony and then renting a venue for um, a reception. Reception. So those options are there here as well. You know, you can have a beautiful overlook at the breaks. You can have, yeah. uh, there's just so many options if you get creative. Now, what is the, is it the Litz, Litz and Annabellum Mansion? The, the Litz and Annabellum Mansion, yes. It looks beautiful. What is it the is historical beautiful. background of that? I don't know a lot about the history of it. That would be a question for my father-in-law because he, oh, really? okay. he, he was acquainted with the, you know, that family back in the day. But um, it is currently owned by Back of the Dragon, the, the corporation who owns the road or who does, doesn't own the road, but who markets the road. Right. And uh, they, you can actually rent rooms or you can rent the entire mansion and um, have a wedding or you can just rent a room and stay there for the night, kind of like a bed and breakfast. But it is absolutely gorgeous. And there's another wedding venue coming online. And it's, um, it's just outside the town of Lebanon, Virginia. It's not as big as the Litz Mansion, not quite as big and grand, but it's a very historic home. Mm-hmm. Um, it has a cabin on the back of it that's, that dates to the 1700s. There's rumors that Patrick Henry owned the land at one point in time. Oh, okay. Um, and, you know, it has been built on over to the years and, the, and the, over the years. And the gentleman who owns it now, he's completely remodeled it. And uh, he's also completely remodeling a... Um, another home that's on the property is on a large farm and uh, you know that will be the bridal suite and the house that he's remodeled will be a great place for getting ready and then he's doing like a a barn he's revamping a barn to be like an indoor type of reception area and you know I think people will find that the cost in in a lot of these cases of these wedding venues in this region may not be quite the cost that they're seeing like in right. you know Charlotte or or you know Atlanta or wherever they may be so you really get that beautiful experience but you might not have to pay quite so much for it and just like real so, estate in this area it is still affordable so i have a really bad sweet tooth uh-huh. And I go through your site and I see a photo and I go to their Facebook page of mini mm-hmm. cake company. Okay. That is in St. Paul, Virginia. Yes. Uh, yes. Their stuff looks amazing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. They have, they have a great location. Um, we have a lot of good dessert places in the area and, okay. and I have a sweet tooth as well. So you're, you're speaking my language. <laughs> um, I was in the Kit Kats earlier, um, but yeah. So there's also another lady who does these honey cakes with homemade honey ice cream. And oh my oh, gosh, I've never they, heard of that before. That they sounds amazing. are apparently amazing. I have not tried them yet. I've resisted so far, but right. I've heard that they are absolutely incredible. So um, some of the towns, because we are small towns, they'll shut down like once a year, they'll shut the main street down and they'll have like a farm to table dinner on the main streets. And okay. uh, that's where we get to try a lot of that really good local food and local desserts, things like that. And um, now I don't know if you watch Hell's Kitchen, but we have the, um, the runner up of Hell's Kitchen season 14 here in the region. And uh, she's actually the one who did my rehearsal dinner. And she can make a fried lemon pound cake. Yeah. It okay. is absolutely incredible. <laughs> <laughs> I've never, I mean, never heard that either, but it sounds oh, yeah. wonderful. Her name is Chef T. Um, okay. She's, uh, I think she's French trained. She's, her family's originally from the Caribbean. She spent some time in Atlanta and New York City. 
and she's she's now in in Bristol, Virginia, getting ready to open a restaurant and doing very well. But yeah, she's she's amazing. Um, anything I've never had anything that she's made that has been bad. So, how long have you worked for the uh, Heart, Heart of Appalachia? I've been with Heart of Appalachia since 2019. And uh, I was actually the tourism director for a local, just a, a county uh, prior to that. Mm-hmm. So, just, so just one county. So how do you compare working for one county to a large region that you have now? You know, in a lot of ways, you would think this would not be the answer, but in a lot of ways, it's easier because these counties are, um, they often struggle with their budgets. Mm-hmm. So you often wear many hats. So when I say I was tourism director, I mean that I was tourism director, I was parks and rec director, (laughs) I was group fitness teacher, you know, I was kind of wearing a lot of hats. Right. And I I joked to one of my friends earlier, it's like, well, how do you think I learned how to take workout clothes and dress them up? You know, I had to leave from teaching a group fitness class and go to a meeting. (laughs) Right. But, um, you know, it's you often wear so many hats with a, with one County that it, it's hard to be effective at any one thing. So now, you know, I'm the marketing and media director for Heart of Appalachia and that's, that's what I do. And like, you know, that's my, that's my pure focus is um, uh, doing the marketing campaigns and measuring the effectiveness of them. And, you know, just making those decisions as to whether we're going to do them again and um, and really also, you know, a lot of it's being out in the region and meeting people and talking to people and seeing what they have going on, which I really enjoy. So it had to be difficult. You started in 2019, then COVID hit. COVID how hit. were you mar- how are you marking an area, especially in the beginning? I mean, later on, the outdoors was where everything was at because that's what everybody was doing. But how what challenge did you have with the um, COVID when it hit? It was it was a challenge. I think in a lot of ways we turned it into a positive. The funny thing was uh, when COVID first started being talked about on the news, we were in the trade show circuit. Okay. So we were like, you know, every week or every other week, we were somewhere different. And it's like as soon as we would leave this one city and move and come back home or move on to the next one, COVID would hit, you know, the one we just left. And it's like, oh, we're staying just ahead of it. Well, it caught up with us in Washington, D.C. You know, we're sitting at breakfast one morning and it's like, you know, the first case of COVID has just hit Washington, D.C. Right. It's like you start looking at your forks and you're, you know, it's like, oh, my God. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, you know, trade show that Saturday was good. Uh, on Sunday, it was almost like crickets. You know, the cruise really? industry was going around. They were almost like trying yeah. to pay you to go on cruises. Yeah. And um, so it's like, OK, we're kind of in trouble here. But fortunately, that was our last one of the season. So we came back, you know, we needed to revamp our website. We needed to revamp our our print materials. And uh, so we really dug in and started working on those things. And, uh, and, you know, as far as my marketing, I almost pivoted to be more like a chamber of commerce. You know, I was trying to support the Mm -hmm. local businesses. And I had news slots that um, twice a month, you know, with, with regional news outlets. And uh, I would just, you know, feature, you know, like Chef T that I was just talking about. She was running a restaurant in one of our towns at the time. Mm-hmm. And of course, COVID, COVID did that in. But she was fighting for her life. Right. And she was delivering. She was doing carryout orders. You know, she was delivering from St. Paul, Virginia to Blacksburg, which is two hours. She was driv- delivering oh, wow. that far okay. out. 
yeah so she was fighting for her life and i you know i would get her new spots to talk about what she was doing to you know mm -hmm. survive covid and and we were just really looking to see what we could do to support those local businesses um in our hometowns rather than marketing to the visitors at that point in time right so for 2023 what's the pitch this coming year what's what's the marketing um slogan for this coming year uh well we're still working on that right now um and i actually have a marketing committee meeting coming up next week and our, our board of directors are our stakeholders which are re regional um dmos which are our tourism directors from each of our okay. counties they weigh in heavily on what we do with our marketing and um you know they all have um they have they all have a bit of a say in it so we're having the big marketing committee meeting next next week and uh, you know one of the one of the things we're talking about um one of the big things we're doing is um and i'm hoping we'll do this is uh, we sponsor and work with uh, low car tv which airs on motor trend yes and uh, we work with sam madavi who does uh, sam's garage so sam's garage i think airs on saturday mornings and maybe low car on sunday mornings and uh, sam is going to his his pitch to us that he's wanting to build a car throughout his season 10 and that car's purpose will be to bring up and drive on the appalachian back roads okay yeah so he's going to be building a really cool car and, uh, you know, my husband and I have a class B camper van that we love and he's wanting to feature it on the, on the show and talk about, you know, what we do and what we enjoy doing in the van mm -hmm. and where we enjoy camping in the region. And, uh, so that's one of the biggest, uh, marketing projects we'll probably have for the upcoming year. Um, but, you know, trade shows have not really come back so much. Mm -hmm. Um, I think we're probably going to take a year off from some of those. Um, and really just, you know, our, our print material is always in need of revamping. So we, we, we have a lot of work ahead of us in the coming, coming months. Do you feel the trade shows are as beneficial as they were, especially now because the internet has Not become right so popular and people, when they want to go somewhere, they look for it. Well, I said, not right now. I think, so we used to do travel and adventure shows. Okay. And those are very diverse you know you, you have a crowd that has disposable income they're looking for somewhere to travel and you know we were kind of competing with the bahamas and belize wow. and costa rica and that's a little hard to compete with uh, now the motorcycle shows because they're very uh targeted i think they do a lot better mm -hmm. um and actually you know before my i've never actually gone to a trade show as a consumer so my husband and I, in September, ahead of buying this van, because we just bought it two weeks ago, um, we went to the big RV show in Hershey, Pennsylvania. Oh, okay. It's the, it's the largest RV show mm -hmm. in the U.S., maybe the world. I don't know. It was huge. But, uh, you know, so as a consumer going into the trade show, I found it very, very informational. Okay. You know, and uh, so it was good for me to kind of get that perspective you know, to be the consumer rather than the exhibitor. I understand. So now you know what the consumer is looking for when you mm -hmm. exhibit. So that oh, yeah. that's that's interesting. That really is that now you can see it on both sides right. of the uh, of the issue. So, Kim, what is the one thing that you want my audience to take with them today after watching or listening to this? I just want them to to give us a chance. You know, 
uh, there's a lot of stereotypes about the Appalachian Mountains and, and the people who live there. Um, you know, I want to quote uh, Larry Davidson from Back of the Dragon. It's like, you know, we're not all carrying a jug of moonshine around, you know, and um, so I'm a bourbon drinker myself. So, I don't so am moonshine. I. I got you. So am I. <laughs> so, um, you know, just give us a chance. One of the things that I really that really warmed my heart working the booth at Blue Highway Fest was how astounded the people were uh, from out of town at the friendliness of the region. Mm-hmm. It's like, I cannot believe how friendly the people right. are. They're just so nice. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's who we are, yeah. you know, and we get stereotypes a lot and we get, um, you know, we get talked about a lot. And sometimes that's our own fault. You know, sometimes, you know, people do things they shouldn't do. And, and you know, it's, it's kind of our own fault as a region. But overall, it's I don't think you'll find an area that has friendlier people. And just just mm-hmm. give us a chance. Come visit, you know, get out of the crowds bring your families, enjoy, you know, enjoy the outdoors. And if you do go, you have to learn how to pronounce it right, right? You have to pronounce it right. (laughs) (laughs) Appalachian Mountains is what it is, but we call it the the Appalachian Mountains. We actually have a t-shirt. One of the the local breweries has a t-shirt that that sounds it out on the t-shirt. Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) I need to get that. I really do. You do. As long as well, you don't read it backwards in a mirror. <laughs> that would that would probably be interesting to do, depending on how much you drank. Um, Kim, thank you very much. This was a pleasure. Um, Absolutely. I'm gonna I'm gonna get down there. Hopefully this okay. coming summer and look into it. And if I do, if and when I do, I'm going to look you up. So I really look appreciate. I really appreciate you taking time to talk about it again. I will post the website, which is. Uh, heartofappalachia.com and that way people can find out what's going on in the area and everything that you guys are doing for them so again thank you very much i really appreciate it anytime so again thank you very much all right have a great evening hey a big thank you goes out to kim smith for joining us today really enjoyed talking about that portion of virginia because you only hear about the larger areas like richmond williamsburg virginia beach And now you heard about the Heart of Appalachia, and you can find out more information by going to heartofappalachia.com. So, Kim, thank you very much. Really appreciate it. And for those of you that are interested in taking a look at the region, I'll put all those links in the description. And you guys, thank you again for being a part of the program today. And we'll talk to you next time here on The Bill Alexander Show. Thank you for listening to The Bill Alexander Show. The Bill Alexander Show is a million-dollar baby production. For more information, go to thebillalexandershow.com.